Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this psalm. Uh, It's the culmination of our series in the Psalms. We pray that you would speak powerfully to us this morning uh, to encourage us. And ultimately, just like the psalm exhorts us, Lord, uh, we pray you would use this preaching and our fellowship together as well as our time at your table to fill us with the joy um, that can uh, weather any hardship, any suffering, any uncertainty. And uh, we pray, we, we know that we need your help to this end, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? Rejoice, because we finally have a happy psalm. <laughs> so over the last two months, more or less, the last two months, we've been using the psalms to help us explore and express um, some of the deepest and darkest emotions and experiences that human beings go through. We talked about shame and despair and abandonment and fear and, I don't know, six or seven different things. And, this, and all along the way, we tried to go through that emotion into deeper understanding of our longing for God and our fellowship with God. So the, the, our emotions were a means to an end of getting us to look to God for our satisfaction, contentment, um, sense of belonging, our hope, etc. And, and this morning is an attempt to put a capstone on that and tie it all together. And uh, by looking at Psalm 100 together, to see that there is a type of joy that God offers us in himself that can, can endure shame. It can endure abandonment. It can endure being near despair and fear and so on. That there's a type of joy, there's a, a source of joy, um, there, a person who is our source of joy that can fill us with that sense of, of blessedness, of contentment, of um, when there's a song in our heart, even when the world is chaotic around us. And that's what this psalm, I think, in the context of our sermon series, that's, I think, how this psalm helps us. It says that true joy is rooted in God and his goodness and not in our circumstances. That's a very simple, very straightforward message this morning, but I think all of us would agree that it's hard to sort of hitch our wagon to that when we, we find joy or happiness in so many things in our world. But, but this is where we're going this morning. True joy is rooted in God and his goodness, not in our circumstances. So let's look at this verse to, uh, these verses together. I think it was page 500 in the Pew Bible, if you want to follow along. But just first of all, obviously, we are, we are exhorted to joy. Verses 1 and 2, verse 1 says, uh, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Or in the the prayer book uh, version, uh, be joyful unto the Lord, all ye lands. There's a, a command, an exhortation, an imperative. Be joyful. The verse, verse two, serve the Lord with gladness. That word gladness could also be translated joy. We're called up to joy. Uh, and I think this is one of, the, one of the amazing things that the Bible does is that even when we're in hardship, even when we are in suffering, even when the world is uncertain and we feel um, like uh, everything is coming down around us, the Bible exhorts us to joy. And that doesn't mean uh, superficiality. It doesn't mean admitting how deep and dark some of our experiences are. It just means that there is a type of joy that can um, be shot through even the darkest of experiences. Just like light always pushes out dark, there's a type of joy through fellowship with God that can 
minister to us in any circumstance. And it's interesting that that word serve in Hebrew, just like in English, can have that sort of double meaning. We use it like this morning, we are in a worship service together, right? Uh, it is our worship, our, the songs of our, and our prayers and, and that, but it can also be our life, right? We serve God with our life, with our work, with our parenting, with how we use um, our lives for his, good, for his glory and our good. There's a, a call to be joyful in the way we worship and to be joyful in the way we live. And the psalmist says, doesn't say that's because your circumstances are really good because you have a lot of sheep on the hill or you have a, a lot of grain in the barn or because you have a lot of money in the account or you have every, everything is coming up millhouse, everything's going the way that you want it to. But he says, the, the reason that you should rejoice and be glad is because you know the Lord, verse three. Know that the Lord... Yahweh is God. He is the one true God. Again, that, that word know is actually an imperative. It's, it, it's a, it puts a little stronger force on it. Be assured. That's what the prayer book says. Um, be, be absolutely certain that the Lord is God. Take it deeply to heart that the Lord is God. That's a source of joy because, because the Lord is the creator. He made us for himself, he says in verse 3. We didn't make ourselves, we're not our own lords, but God made us. When we feel purposeless, when we, when we wonder why am I here, this is a source of joy because it means we always have a purpose. We can serve the Lord with gladness. We can rejoice, we have this noble, uh, we carry the image of God and we have this noble purpose that God has given us. He tells us, he lays claim to us. He says, I'm gonna tell you, the proper way to live your life. I made you. I know what you were made for. And so this is how I want you to live. You know, you guys seen those social media posts that's always like, uh, you were using it wrong, you know? Like the little hook on the back of a dress shirt, like what's that for? There's always like some, it's like, because if you use that, you can like fly to the moon. Like it's always some crazy, you can open a can with your shoe. Like it's just always some crazy thing, but you probably have seen that this, um, you, what you never knew it was for, right? And in our sin, we can, we can actually go throughout our lives and never realize what we are for, what a human being is for. But praise God, he is the creator. He lays claim to us. He says, here's how you should use money. Here's how you should use your words. Here's how you should use your life, even your body. Uh, you are, in sin, you are using it wrong. But through Christ, you can be brought back into that noble purpose that God has for us. And that means there's repentance required to receive this joy, doesn't it? You, you can't go on being your own Lord, thinking of yourself as your own creator, go on determining your purpose for yourself, and also access the joy that comes from knowing that the Lord is God. But repentance is actually something you want to do when you realize that he's like a treasure in the field and you'll sell everything to buy it. And you'll get rid of everything to have that pearl of great price. But there is a call to repentance, a call of self-denial, to not rely on myself, to not think of myself too highly, but to trust that the Lord is God. He is the creator. More than that, he calls us his own. Verse three goes on to say, we are his people. Now, I, when we say people, it just sounds like, a, to me at least, it sounds like a generic mass of human beings. 
I don't necessarily think of that word having any greater significance, but in, in the Hebrew, it, it actually has a, a sort of overtone of family. The word actually comes from the word uncle. It's like your kin, you know, the people to whom you belong. God, we are God's people. We've been adopted into God's family through the work of Christ. And now you also hear that echo of, of Exodus, that God has called a people to be his treasured possession. Though all the nations of the earth are mine, you shall be my people, my treasured possession. It's not just a random set of people, but people that God loves and treasures and calls his own, calls his own family. You know, my, little, my littlest boys, the five-year-old and the three-year-old, they both have a stuffed animal that is their treasured possession. So the five-year-old, uh, he has a little, like, dog stuffed animal. His name is Peaky Parker. Um, and, and then the three-year-old has a little manatee stuffed animal, and her name is Marmee. And if Peaky or Marmee go missing, everything stops, right? Life stops until, especially at bedtime, Everything stops until that treasured possession is found. That, that thing which they have such deep affection for, that they love. You know, I think when I think of my treasured possessions, it's usually like, how much are they worth? Or like, did, is it like I'm the steward of it because my family member gave it to me? But it's more than that. It's this deep affection. God has a deep affection. We are his treasured possession, his own people. And that should fill us with joy that we belong to the creator. He cares for us, verse three goes on to say. We are the sheep of his pasture. You know, Sam showed us that video a couple years ago of the sheep that was stuck in the ground and the shepherd gets it out and the sheep immediately jumps back into the same hole. There was another video that came out in the last fall and it's a, a woman, a trail runner, she's just running through the woods and there's like a whole flock of sheep following her because they have this instinct to follow, right? They have a herding instinct. And if, if she was the butcher, that wouldn't have been a good thing for them to follow, right? But they don't, sheep are dumb. They don't know that. And so God often calls his people sheep. We are easily, oh, this guy's going somewhere. Let's follow him. We fall into following the wrong shepherds. But God is our shepherd. He's the true shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep, the good shepherd, Jesus says, who lays down his life for the sheep, who goes and finds them when they are wayward, who binds up their wounds, who spreads a table before them. Psalm 23, he cares for us, and he's preparing a place for us. Uh, we are the sheep of his pasture. God wants to prepare a place for us. You know, in, in the story of creation, God made a place for human beings to dwell in, in fellowship with him, to enjoy uh, perfect peace and justice and shalom. God's shalom, his perfect world that he created. But through sin, we entered this corruption entered into that and this guilt and estrangement from God entered into that and so now we're longing we're, we're we're looking for a shepherd and we're longing for a home and so we go through the story of the Bible and God gives his people what a place the land and a place where his presence dwells the temple and now we look Revelation 21 we look for the day when he makes all things new he we are his sheep and there is a pasture that God is working for us and will bring to its consummation. We, isn't that, I mean, isn't that a source of joy for you that you have a home, that you have a purpose, that you have a shepherd who cares for you and that you, are, that you belong to him? So the psalmist says, rejoice for the Lord is God. He's your God, the one true God. 
be joyful in the Lord because he's God. And then the second half of the psalm, I think, says, be joyful in the Lord for he is good. He is good. You see that in verse 4. He calls us to, to thankfulness. And there's a connection with what he says about thankfulness, right? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. Enter the place of worship, the temple. Enter the place of worship with thanksgiving and praise and bless his name. That's very similar to what he said in verse 1. Praise his name, right? Shout and sing and praise his name. One of the things that's interesting, and I think I've mentioned this before, is that when we think about joyfulness and thankfulness, we probably think that, oh, because I'm joyful, I'll become thankful. But actually, repeatedly, studies have shown that it's the other way around. That if we become thankful, we will become more joyful. I've shared these statistics, but they've done studies, and it it shows that people who are encouraged to to, um, keep a gratitude journal or just be intentional about being thankful, uh, keeping a record of their thankfulness, they have fewer aches and pains in their bodies. This is self-reporting. They have fewer aches and pains in their bodies. They make more progress on their personal goals. They feel increased empathy and generosity. They get better sleep. They have improved self-esteem. They have more optimism and positive emotions, and for our purposes, they experience self-reported greater happiness in their life. One study, uh, the, the participants were encouraged to write a personal letter to someone who had helped them, but they felt they had never um, adequately thanked that person. So they were going to write that card or that letter and personally deliver it. And out of all the other things that they tried to increase that person's happiness, the person who's delivering the letter and writing the letter, out of all the other things that they tried, the, the action of writing and delivering that letter was the, had the greatest impact on their own sense of happiness and contentment in their life. Joyfulness will follow thankfulness. That's why it's here in the psalm. Be thankful. If you're thankful to the Lord, you will grow in your joy in the Lord. Why? Because he is good. Verse 5, that word good, you know, we actually use the word good as, as sort of like actually mediocre a lot of times, right? Good is worse than great in our everyday language, but in the Bible, this word good, it's just, it's so deceptively simple, but it is immense as you begin to unpack it, this word good. It's, the, it's not just about God's moral goodness, like good versus evil, but it's about his blessedness, his the, the bountiful way that he treats his people, the, the, um, the, like we prayed in the collect, the, uh, the abundance that is in God, right? God is good. In the Psalms, God is, this uh, idea of his goodness is connected with God being the refuge for God's people, the protector and the stronghold for God's people. It's also connected with being in something about just being in the presence of God. You have people in your life who you just feel better, when you're with them, that is what God is like, but times a billion, right? That's what the psalmist says. Psalm 34 connects the idea of God's goodness with tasting something delightful. That there's, there's just this huge palette of ways of trying to unpack and explain what it means for God to be good. And one of the primary ways that comes through, especially in the book of Psalms, is that God's goodness is connected with his forgiveness that he offers. God is good because he's forgiving. God is good because he calls us back to himself. God is good because he wants to be in relationship with us. His character is good, and he, he desires to be in covenant with us. He, he wants to be in relationship with us. Though we are sheep who have gone astray, he comes looking and draws us back to himself. The Lord's character is good, and his covenant is good. 
I, I think I meant to say in almost every sermon in this series, you might know, but when you see all caps Lord in the Psalms and in the Old Testament in general, that's, that's a way of um, writing the personal name of God. So it's not saying the Lord like the master, it's saying Yahweh, the personal God, the God who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, the God who called Abraham into covenant, the God who... Um, gives his people his name that they might call on him and be in relationship with him. He is the covenant-making God. He pours out his goodness on his people so that he can dwell in their midst and so that they can know him more and more deeply. But the scriptures present us as covenant breakers, as people who are we're created in the image and likeness of God, who are made for relationship with God, but each and every one of us rejects that and says, no, I'll go my own way. I'm gonna be my own Lord. I'm gonna be my own shepherd. I'm gonna be my own creator. And God sends Jesus into the world to bear our sin, to, to rescue us from that foolishness, from, from rescue us from following after false shepherds who are really butchers, who come to devour and destroy God's sheep. And Jesus Christ comes as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. God's goodness is most profoundly and most powerfully revealed in his forgiveness of calling broken people, sinful people, hurting people, people who have, have had dark experiences and have darkness in their heart, calling them back to himself, forgiving and restoring and healing I was thinking about this uh, analogy that Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon was a 19th century Baptist preacher, and he used uh, the analogy of the sea in a couple of different ways in a sermon on, on the book of Ephesians to describe the goodness of God, the grace of God. And, and I love this because it, it helps us to get closer and closer to this reality, this understanding that, that we actually can't understand just how good, just how, um, you know, his steadfast love is for forever and ever. His faithfulness is to generations. I mean, what, is that, what does that mean? And so Spurgeon says, sometimes people will come to him and say, I have seen great grace. And Spurgeon will say, yeah, for you, so you have. But actually, you haven't even begun to scratch the surface of just how deep and wide and fathomless God's grace is. He says, what you've experienced is like the man who goes on holiday standing on the shore looking out at the ocean and says, ah, I've seen the ocean. Or, or you might even be like the man who takes a steamer from America and along that long furrow through the Atlantic says, ah, I know, now I know the ocean. I've seen the ocean. But Spurgeon says, when you stand on the shore or even when you're in a sea in the midst of the ocean, you, you haven't even begun to fully grasp or witness or see or experience just how wide and deep is the ocean. And so he goes on. He says, great sins can sink into the ocean of God's grace, but his grace is just as deep after it has swallowed a world's sin as it was before. And then my, my favorite one, he just kind of piles them on just to press us beyond our our assumption that we know what it means for God to be good. He says, God's grace is like this. God's goodness, his steadfast love, his mercy is like this. A child may fill its little cup out of a great sea, but the sea never misses it. Your sin is like that cup. And you may fill it to the brim, 
but the ocean of love will never miss all that you can take. So come, take all that you can take. That's what the psalmist, that's why he's saying rejoice. That's the goodness that he's pointing us to, this unquenchable, you might say, grace and goodness of God. The Lord is good. Rejoice in the Lord because he is God and he is good. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, our Heavenly Father, to see you this way, to see your matchless goodness and grace, to see your mighty power as our creator and redeemer. Lord, help us to experience, to walk in, and to know this joy. The joy that comes from knowing you ever more deeply. Knowing your goodness ever more deeply. Knowing your grace and forgiveness ever more deeply. Lord, I pray that in this preaching and in our fellowship together, as we come to the Lord's table, and as you send us out this week, Lord, that you would fill us with joy. And we ask for this in Jesus' name.